Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Hi, Nia. It's a new format for us. We're doing this in Zoom for listeners. We're doing this in Zoom. So Augie and I are practicing social distancing by several miles. Yeah. And and doing this, so we're taking it to its extreme, although one of us hasn't moved to another planet, but we are doing this on Zoom, so it may sound a little odd. We just want to let you guys know that. But so, we appreciate you all uh, listening to us uh, uh, for another episode. We do very much appreciate that. And so speaking of complete paranoia, which... Yes. I'm developing, obviously, because I'm in my house all the time thinking instead of being out with other people, which usually (laughs) distracts me. Um, So here lately, a a thing that's been um, suggested in some of the more extreme YouTube videos that I somehow end up with at four o'clock in the morning is that I should be buying gold because gold is gold. I write like, I mean, literally they're saying gold is, is a a currency or a form of currency that will never go away. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something about um, uh, gun purchases. I know that in Colorado, gun purchases are up like a thousand percent. Pretty much in every state in this country, gun purchases have skyrocketed. I'm assuming that in part that's for so people can protect their gold, um, but also <laughs> so they can protect, also that, so they can protect their toilet paper, which is apparently a, a thing. Um, <laughs> In, and I'm thinking in future, perhaps instead of buying gold, people should buy stock in toilet paper. If I oh, had bought yeah. stock in Zoom, I could retire next week. Like, I don't know well, what I was is, thinking. Yeah, for those of us who work at colleges and universities, since so many of our classes, you know, are having class sessions on Zoom, you imagine what your return on your investment would have been. <laughs> right. right? Or, you know, yeah, every time the university sends out an email saying use Zooming, I'd be saying ka-ching. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and every time I read a news story that says um, uh, a grocery store um, is out of toilet paper, imagine if you had had stock in a paper company. Yeah, ka-ching. <laughs> um, but instead, I have stock in absolutely nothing because I'm not very good with that sort of thing. Uh, but so... Is is gold really safe? Like, is gold a thing? First of all, didn't we used to have some sort of gold backs up our money? Yes. Yeah. But we uh, don't have that anymore, right? No, we've so, not had we've not had that since the Nixon administration. So what's the what's the deal with that? Okay. Well, what you're talking about is called the uh, gold standard. Okay. And um, you know, one of the artifacts, Nia, of um, uh, the Revolutionary War and the Articles of Confederation is that um, the 13 states came up with their own currency, um, but they frequently didn't honor each other's currency. Oh, so there were 13 separate currencies, not yeah. 13 came up with a currency. No. They came up with 13 currencies. Yeah, different currencies. Okay. okay. Um, oh, that's not complicated. Well, <laughs> I mean, you'd have to, it's like being in Europe, you'd have to exchange before the Euro, That's you went right. to France, and then you decided to pop over to Germany for lunch, which literally you can do in, in Europe, oh. because the train, you know, the trains are so good, but you'd have to change money yeah. somewhere along, and you'd, inevitably, no yeah. matter when you went, you would lose money. Sure. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter. You'd be like, no, no, I just checked in the paper and 10 minutes ago mm-hmm. I was going to gain money. And they're like, yeah, no, not now. Yep. I don't know how that worked, but I always lost money when I tried to do things like that. So the, the thought was when you get the new nation and, and you had folks like, for instance, Alexander Hamilton, um, John Marshall. Of musical fame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, he was no one before the musical. <laughs> I, I've had students say, oh, like the guy from the musical? I'm like, no, the founder who, about whom a musical happens to have been made, you heathen. <laughs> I've, I've had similar reactions, and I've had students who are just like, hey, you need to calm down, Professor Agabaugh. And I'm like, 
I need to calm down? Yeah, you need to read a history book, chucklehead. <laughs> okay, that's not fair. You didn't know who Alexander Hamilton was? But anyways. Okay, so we have 13 currencies. Yes. And the states aren't that big. I mean, they're big compared to, like, some of the countries in Europe, no offense intended. Um, well, be, but they're but, not that big. I mean, like, going from North Carolina to Maryland, Virginia's not that big. So... But you'd still have to make that that exchange twice. Yes, and and in in some cases the states didn't honor the currency of other states. Oh, what okay. we just don't take the Georgia nickel. Yeah, so you would have a situation to where this promoted competitiveness among the states, and it just you know, uh, uh, um, I mean our our nation's economy was in shambles. So one of the things that um, uh, Hamilton uh, emphasized, the Federalists emphasized, was that we needed um, uh, uh, a currency uh, or forms of currency that could be used in all 13 states that would be backed by which level of government? Federal. The federal government. Right, because he was a Federalist. He was a Federalist. Okay. okay. He, John Marshall, and other Federalists believed that probably the most effective way to unify the country was with a national economy, not 13 separate economies, a national economy. Okay? And one that of the ways. That seems you, legitimate to me. I mean. Well, and it was kind of sort of, you know, ahead of the curve, right? I mean, this, this was, you know, a kind of novel argument, particularly selling it to states that just got out of um, a colonial experience, uh, okay, yeah. where a national authority telling them, you need to go ahead and do what we tell you to do, okay? Not so much. <laughs> yeah. Not so much with that. <laughs> exactly. The king is a fink, down with kings. Yes. So you understand where okay. we're going with this. Right, but... Wasn't Hamilton also a huge fan of paying off debt and having That's right. no debt? Like he wanted, didn't he want to get the Revolutionary War debt paid off? Yes. Pretty quickly um, too, which would be hard to do if you didn't have a national, like sort of overarching economy. Yeah. And the leverage that Hamilton used was the fact that most of the states still owed the British crown money. Do you owe money to people after you fight a war of independence? Ah, but think about this. All the colonies were created via charters, contracts with the British crown. Okay? So even though we fought a war to break away from the British crown, right? Okay? The British crown never violated the terms of their charters. Who did? Well, us, clearly. Yes. So according to international law back then, and even international law today, since we broke the terms of the contract, okay, we still owed, okay, the other party of the contract, okay, for services or terms of the contract. And we couldn't just say, good luck with coming over here and taking it? Uh, no, because that would have been basically an invitation for uh, Great Britain to come over here and continue to fight wars against us. Okay, so so we paid off the so Hamilton wants to pay off the debts. Yes, and that's how he leveraged the creation of our first national bank. <laughs> oh, okay. Was he was saying? Listen, if we pull all this up and we get it paid off, then the Brits will leave us alone. There you go. Okay. That again, Hamilton guy was pretty clever, huh? No yeah. wonder he's got a musical. <laughs> <laughs> so, but also, if you look in the, uh, uh, the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Congress has the authority to coin money. And that's where we get to, okay, um, uh, how at first, okay, um, the states were incredibly distrustful that the federal government would create 
if you will, money that had any kind of value because they just came out of the Articles of Confederation experience where each other's money had no what in their value. own states. No value. No value. So the argument was, how do we back, okay, whatever money is created by the federal government? And that's where you get, okay, the idea of money being backed by something that already had value. And as you started off this podcast, Nia, what seems to have value today? <laughs> Gold. Gold. Gold and guns. Gold and guns. <laughs> and since they didn't have, they only had flintlocks, I guess they went with gold. There you go. Okay. However. Why is gold, I know that's a philosophical question, but why is gold like seemingly intrinsically valuable? Well, I mean. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just that it's pretty. But it's not even a particularly good metal. If you, as anybody who's ever chewed up their wedding ring in the in the garbage disposal in their in their sink, knows it, it's not even. I mean, it's you know what I mean. Like it's not even like it's steel or something super hard or whatever. Well, not I mean, that, you know, that I've ever done that. She says, looking in a different direction. <clears throat> I mean, well, for some people. You know, it is the color, um, you know, what it represents, you know, in a metaphysical uh, uh, sense, but it's a, it's a scarce metal. And anything that has scarcity, okay, typically has, okay, if you will, inflated value, right? Okay. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is hard to find gold. You have to. Those guys who used to do the standing in the river and shaking the water, you know, mm -hmm. sh shaking the silt would go weeks and weeks and weeks and only get three or four flakes of the stuff. It's not. Well, uh, think about our conversation before we started recording this podcast. Um, you were talking about uh, buying uh, medical supplies for your mom online. Yeah. Good but luck finding a thermometer. Yeah, but because of the current pandemic, um, those things are scarce. Right. So the value of them has increased in terms of price, okay, because of increased demand, and there's not enough supply. So, okay. if, so if you think about, for instance, gold as a backing for currency, and again, you know, readers, if you think about currency, and I know for many of you younger listeners, you're just like, I don't have any currency. Right. That's what my phone is for. I shake it at the little thing with the laser yes. and somebody gives me my coffee and I walk away. Yes. But, you know, for most of our country's history, okay, we printed paper currency. We produced coins, right? So the question becomes, what backs this? Because when you exchange it, okay, uh, with somebody else, they may take it to a bank, okay, to get value in return. So what right. backs it? Right. Everybody has to agree that a nickel is worth five units of something. And that's right. And that's we right. all agree that the, the seller, the purchaser, the bank, everybody agrees that. And so nobody is left holding money that doesn't have any value because right. again in the articles of confederation experience during that era of our country's history okay you would cross state lines and all of a sudden all the currency you had okay might be of very little value wealthy in one state poor in another another okay okay so initially um you know well into the 1830s our currency was backed by a combination of gold and silver, primarily silver, okay? Okay. Because we had more silver available, but we wanted gold because again, gold has historically, okay, very constant, significant value. Okay. All right. Oh, so I see. So that's why it's called the pound sterling in that's England. Right because it was based on sterling silver. That's right. Okay. okay. 
And the gold standard was always considered, okay, the benchmark. Now, at, at the end of the day, the reason why U.S. money or Canadian money or any nation's money, okay, um, has value in terms of an exchange is that it's backed by the full faith and credit of that nation's government. Hence why Zimbabwe and Venezuela, why their money is not worth anything right now as far as... Yeah, because their nation's governments, okay, uh, it's been called into question whether or not those nation's governments can actually pay back the value of any of that currency. Oh, currency is sort of an IOU. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm giving you this dollar under the idea that a bank somewhere will value this dollar at a dollar. That's right. And we can all agree that, and then this IOU just goes from person to person to person. Well, that's right. And at some point in, in exchange time, for something. That's right. And at some point in time, somebody takes that dollar to a bank. The bank goes ahead and says it has value. And the reason why we know it has value is that the nation's government has gone ahead and created this as a currency. So we are more likely to engage in economic transactions. Okay. So if the government fails, then you have no faith that they can, that they can back up the value of, of the currency of the IOU that they can pay it off. That's right. That's right. Oh, okay. I get it. Sorry. I haven't. No, 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 no. Okay. But you know, this is difficult to explain today because as you pointed out just a few moments ago, what do most of us use as currency? Credit card. Yes. Or a card of some kind, a debit card, a credit card, or the thing on your phone or PayPal, something that's not physical in the sense of dollars and coins. That's right. Okay. (laughs) So it becomes even, uh, even more perilous whether the government can back that up or not. That's right. Because now you don't even have a physical object. Like if you have coins, at least you have the value of the metal. Yes. Right? Even if you don't have the, the actual face, like whatever they say the face value is, That's you right. have the value of the piece of metal. Without that, you don't even have anything like that. Yes. That's scary. Yes, it is. <laughs> Good, because what I needed during this time was something else to be afraid of. Thanks. Thanks, Augie. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, now. (laughs) You're the one who wanted to go ahead and discuss the gold standard. Well, now, but I didn't know it was going to be scary. (laughs) Uh, Sure, sit down. Let's watch this movie. Just because it's called Death by Death doesn't mean anything. It's going to be fine. You'll not be scared. Um. There probably is a movie, Death by Death. Sorry, movie out there named Weird Things. So, okay, so we have the gold standard, and basically what that means is we agree that there is enough gold somewhere Mm -hmm. in the government's possession. That's right. That if you said, instead of this dollar bill, I want a dollar's worth of gold. Gold, yep. That the government would be able to produce that. That's right. And then you would have a flake, a, a tiny, oh yes, tiny infinitesimal yes. flake, because yes. it would, you would need more than that in order to get. I think at this point a gram is, is around a thousand dollars. I don't know. I, I'm I that could be completely off. But anyway, um, I'm gonna look it up because I'm on a computer and I can do that. <laughs> a gram of gold value, my bad. Uh, one gram um, is fifty-two dollars and thirty-six cents. There you go. So theoretically, if I had fifty-two dollars and thirty-six cents, I could say to the federal government, "Well, at this time, at the time you're talking about, I could say to the federal government, I want a gram of gold," and they would say, "All right, give me fifty-two dollars and thirty-six cents, and I'll give you a gram of gold." Yes, when we were still on the gold standard, and- right. And, and as the Congressional Research Service, again, guys, if you want a really good synopsis of whatever topic you're interested in, okay, um, look it up on the Congressional Research Service. They yeah. do studies on almost everything. Yeah, we can't but, tout them enough. They're, yes. they're good but guys. We've only, had, we've only had about a, a 150-year period. Uh, 
1933, where we were on purely a gold standard. Most of the time we've had some sort of combination of gold and silver because silver has been in more abundance than gold, okay? We've even had periods, and we're currently in one since the Nixon administration, where our currency is not backed up by gold. It's backed up basically by the full faith and credit of the United States federal government, okay? Okay, can I just say? Yeah. Okay, say what you want, okay? But for the rest of the world, okay, the one thing you can say about the U.S. federal government is it always pays off its IOUs, its debts, okay? If there is one country's government that's not going to go bankrupt, according to the rest of the world, it's which one? It's the United States. Okay, wait. I put to you that we have about a Kazabillion national debt. Like, it's huge. Our national debt is huge. Yeah. So we're not paying that off. Okay, but theoretically... We're paying the interest on that off, right? But we're but, not actually paying... But theoretically, we could. With what? Okay. Well, I mean, if the United States, for instance, federal government stop providing a lot of goods and services, okay, um, it could go ahead and put a huge dent into the debt, okay? We don't want it to, okay? The current pandemic is a, a good example of this, okay? There are many folks who would want the federal government to do even more, okay, to spend more money, to provide more goods and services, okay? But theoretically, okay, uh, we could scale back dramatically, okay, in regards to what the federal government spends, um, and it would put a huge debt in our government's, okay, national debt, if you will, okay? We just don't contemplate it because most of us, okay, for whatever reason or reasons, like this program or that program or these set of programs, okay? You don't like that answer, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless well, i'm in the hamiltonian mindset of generally speaking i think it's better to be debt-free if you can be um well, hey but, you're, you're preaching to the choir okay? <laughs> but i also understand but you the know, debt is more complicated than that right like there's sure i mean if if you have one country that's not that doesn't have any debt at all it, it would be complex for that country to engage in trade with other countries because part of what part of what helps global trade is debt negotiation right it's sure yeah yeah it's complicated and the rest of the world doesn't want the united states federal government to all of a sudden stop spending money oh on all the other stuff in order to pay off the debt yes because that means a whole bunch of Americans no longer have money to go ahead and spend on whose goods and services. Well, the rest of the world. Right. I mean, there you go. Prada and, yeah. and, uh, you yeah, know, don't you, um, don't you Fiji water that? and all the other, <laughs> no, Fiji water's American, but anyway. Okay. But don't you love globalization? <laughs> okay. So, it, so if you unknit one part of it, you unknit the entire sweater. Like well, you just pull that, it apart that, because that, that, that is the concern. If you go ahead and pull on, you know, one end of the thread. Okay. All of a sudden. Okay. It bunches up on the other side. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay so gold standard. So we're on the gold standard until 1933. What happens in 1933? Great depression. Run oh. on the banks. Okay. Yep. Run on the banks. Okay. Give me my money. Give me my gold. Yeah. Don't give me money. Give me gold. Give me something of value. Okay. So you had a whole bunch of Americans who lost their jobs or who were losing their houses. Uh, they're losing their farms. They go to their banks asking for the money that they put into the uh, banking system. And the banks all of a sudden were like, hey, we don't got this money. And even if we did, okay, there isn't enough gold to go ahead and pay off the IOUs that we have because 
you're asking for your money. Okay. So yeah, the system is creakily built on the idea, right, that I put in my deposit and then the bank loans my deposit to someone else. That's right. And as they pay off that money, the bank, the bank has money. the bank, but the bank also has money to give me That's right. if, if I come in and ask for the money. But if everybody goes in and asks for the money at one time, then there's there's not enough liquid cash in order to make that. Yes. And by the way, if they're all running to their banks, chances are they're not paying off the loans they may have also taken out. So the banks are losing at both ends. Okay. No, that makes sense. The last thing you do would be to pay your mortgage rather than feed your kids. I mean, <laughs> there you, right, go. you as a homeowner and as a parent, that's an easy choice for you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll deal with the bank. Okay. Some other day. Okay. But if I got kids to feed. I'm going to the bank and taking out my money so I can go to the grocery store and feed my kids. Right. Okay. okay. So 1933, we don't have the gold standard anymore. FDR goes ahead and suspends it. Okay. He suspends the gold standard. For how long? He did it for a year. And then we went back to one of those, you know, roughly 40 year periods, 34 to 1973, okay, um, uh, where we did a kind of sort of balancing a certain percentage of every, you know, dollar of American currency had some gold to back it up. <laughs> okay. Um, and it was flexible. Congress gave President Roosevelt the authority, gave a, you know, the president, whether it was Roosevelt or some other president, the authority to go ahead and decide what to do, okay? How much gold would be required to back up American currency? This all comes to a head, however, during the Nixon administration when we start getting stagflation, okay? You know what stagflation is? No, but it sounds fun. Uh, no, I mean, I, in those way of things like getting your teeth drilled sound fun. Yeah, right. Is it fun like that kind of fun? Yeah, uh, only if you're a masochist. Okay. okay. Um, you had inflation, but also um, uh, recessionary pressures. Okay. So the value of what you could actually buy with an American dollar was decreasing and that's what happens with inflation right okay oh you make oh, okay the value sorry the value of the of what you can buy decreases yeah because the costs okay are going up okay in inflationary period right so you have too much demand and not enough what supply okay supply, okay that's the cost. oh Okay. Like the oil shocks and stuff like that later in the 70s. Well, yeah, but they, they, you know, OPEC, okay, the cartel of oil producing countries, early in the 1970s began to indicate that they were going to raise the price of each barrel of, uh, of oil, okay? You had other inflationary pr uh, pressures, but at the same time, okay, you had some recession going on where you had parts of the US uh, uh, economic sector that weren't doing well, okay? Um, and this, by the way, all comes to a head during the Carter administration, okay, from 1976 to 1980, okay? Is but, that when manufacturing begins to move yes. to other countries? Yep. Mm -hmm. Right, because people act like that happened relatively recently, but it didn't, right? It started in the late 60s, early 70s. That's right. Where yeah. um, nations that had cheaper labor. Cheaper labor? Our, our, our companies would move things there in order to have parts of it made there and then sent back. That's right. To be finished, because I know even the, even the car companies were doing some of that even back then. That's right. Some of their parts made in poorer countries. Or countries with lower labor costs, let me put it that way. Lower labor costs, lower raw material costs, okay? And lower regulations. Yes, and fewer regulations, yep. Okay. okay, so that's starting at this point 
Yes, and Nixon's response uh, was to take the nation off the gold standard, and we've never gone back. We've never gone back. So our money is backed up by, yeah, sure, full, we'll pay you that. Full faith and credit of the U.S. government. It's backed by our word. That's right. And, and as long as the rest of the world keeps taking our word for it. We're good. We're fine. Yes. But if all of a sudden the world says, I don't know, I'm not sure that you guys are good for it anymore. Yeah. Then, but, but again. Then we have a Venezuela-Zimbabwe situation on our hands. Okay, but again, you're laying out the, the worst case scenario. The, of course the, I am. How long have you known me? Yes. Okay. I, I mean, come on. <laughs> but the intervening variable in all of this is that the world's economy, okay, in part is predicated on whose nation's citizens buying a whole bunch of stuff. Right. If we all became minimalists, the world would fail. Oh. In a, in a month. I mean, yeah, that would be the end of that. The would crash. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, all those folks out there on, uh, see, you can tell I've been home now for several days because I'm, I'm watching YouTube more than I was. And, <laughs> and there's all these marvelous videos about, I own seven things, you know, and, and they're sitting in an apartment that's completely bare. They're sitting on the floor and I'm like, well, you at least own a camera and a ring light because you're making you know, videos yeah, on YouTube, YouTube videos. Yeah. Um, and you own the clothes you're wearing. So I'm not buying your, I own seven things, but I do own limited stuff. Right. And then they show you their apartment and it's relatively empty. And, and I, there's a part of me that's like, Oh, that looks so nice. I want to live that way. Right. I want to live in this sort of very soothing, calm, clean, quiet environment with nothing in it. And, um, but if we did that, if we all did that, then the world's economy would come to a screeching halt, right? Because... Yeah, because, um, you know, America's value to the world's current economic system is that we consume far beyond what we need to live. <laughs> okay. They need us to be... Yes. ...over consumers. Yes. Okay. So it's our, you're saying it's our duty to buy stuff <laughs> because that helps other nations. I see. Are you running for president at some point in the near future? Oh, I would never run for president. And you know all the reasons why, Mia. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's an interesting argument. It's an interesting argument that, that there wouldn't be another country that would step into that space but there would be eventually there would be another country that would step into that space well, right because yeah. all countries get or all empires or whatever it is like there's never been an end of empires there's just a change of empire from one to another oh, sure but the idea that oh and we shall have no more empires that's just not going to happen because that's not how humans work historically that you are correct historically okay. since we've had humans yes I mean, not historically, like in the last well, time. I mean, hey, I, I, have, 10, I, have, I have plenty of students who would go ahead and argue that uh, theoretically, um, and now we're moving into theories of uh, international relations, right? You know, the three dominant research traditions currently in international relations is realism, okay, liberalism, and idealism um you uh and and there are students who are like you know we could live in uh, a world where there is not a dominant nation you know not a hegemon in the language of ir theoretically that could exist right um liberal uh liberalism argues that the way to minimize conflict is to have nation states around the world be interdependent upon one another, okay? Realism goes ahead and says, if you want order, if you want security, then there has to be a dominant nation or a couple dominant nations, a couple hegemons who basically go ahead and scare the bejesus out of everybody, right? Oh, man. Okay. I'm so, somewhere between those last two. Okay, so how do you perceive the world, right? Now, you've gone ahead and said 
that in the history of human beings, we've tended to have empires. And there are plenty of historians who have gone ahead and demonstrated that, okay, in tomes that are like, you know, <laughs> 1,200 pages. That's okay. right. And then this empire fell, and this empire rose, and then this empire fell, and this empire okay. rose. Cause, right, okay. You know. Um, uh, but there are others, and, and I have plenty of students who are like, you know, why can't idealism work? Well, I'm like, well, theoretically, it could work. Okay. <laughs> but everybody would have to be idealistic. Yes. Okay. You'd have to have absolutely no power-seeking country slash individual. You would have to come to an agreement on values and concepts and principles that heretofore has not existed, but theoretically it could. Across all cultures in the world. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not buying what that's selling, but okay. Okay. but I mean, I, would it be wonderful if we could live in that world? I don't know. I don't know, actually, if it would be wonderful if we could live in that world. Because part of what, part of the value of conflict, and I'm not saying that it's good when people die. That's not what I mean when I say conflict, but part of the value of conflict is asking yourself if that's what you really believe and if you believe it enough to, to fight for it, right, yeah. to fight for it. Mm -hmm. So there's some value in that. There's some value in the pressure of two countries bouncing up against each other and saying, this is what I believe. No, this is what I believe. Okay, well, do I believe what I believe enough to, to send people, my people to war or to the you know, experiences the rap experience the ravages of war. So, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're like, no, I don't believe it enough, right? Like I'm, Ooh. I surrender. This is done because we don't want to die more than we want to have whatever idea it is we're having. Which I don't know if we would get if we didn't have some level of conflict. Hmm. Or think about it this way, you know. We started off this podcast talking about the gold standard, Nia. Yeah, sorry, gotten a little astray here. No, 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 no. Uh, but this discussion actually highlights uh, one of the central conflicts about the gold standard, okay? Um, throughout our country's history, there have been efforts to get the nation off the gold standard because the thought was um, it put too high of a value on banks or those who own gold, that it was a very elitist, if you will, currency standard. Yeah, or I could see that it. argument. In other podcast episodes, you and I have talked about how we both grew up in rural areas where our ancestors, okay, as near as our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation, never used money certainly not credit cards. They frequently paid for things, okay, in the barter system. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, so the idea my grandparents I, traded all the time. Sure, we have eggs. We'll trade you that for, you know, a bag of apples or whatever. I mean, they're just a bushel or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about this. You just, uh, 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 before the podcast episode, you talked about, you know, your mother's aversion, aversion to credit cards, right? Ah, hates them. Okay, my grandmother, okay, a product of the New Deal, of the Great Depression. Okay? She saves plastic bags, doesn't she? Uh, she saves any container, <laughs> right? My Grammy did that too. <laughs> aluminum fruit and vegetable containers. Uh, right? Aluminum foil. We can use that again. Just wash it off. What are you yeah, doing? Wash I'm it like, off, we can right? get more. She's like, we don't need to get more. We can just wash that one and reuse it. She doesn't trust banks. Okay. So like every five <laughs> or 10 years, we will go down to her pack rat of a house. Okay. And help her clean. Okay. Um, I you, see you your air quotes. <laughs> air quotes. Right. Um, and in magazines, books, Bibles, underneath couch cushions, mattresses, is money. Yeah. A few dollars here, a few dollars there. You I have a colleague who I have a colleague who had to go through very carefully his father's things because 
Yes. When he passed, they, they had to make sure that they didn't just throw, literally throw money away. I was cleaning her pantry in her kitchen. This was probably 15, 20 years ago. Okay. And she's got all these old um, fruit aluminum cans because she makes pies, right? So if she doesn't have uh, fresh fruit, she'll, she, will, she will slum and buy <laughs> canned fruit. Okay. Anyway, she washes them out and they're sitting there in the pantry. Okay. And I was just going to go ahead and throw them out in mass, right? Put them in the recycling container because they're made of aluminum. Right. Goes, no, you might want to take a look in a couple of those. <laughs> I'm like, well, why would I want to do that? Right. She goes, yeah, you should probably take a look at them. She's got you know, a, a, a wad or a roll of $20 here, $20 bills, yeah. okay, $5 bills and another canister, okay, singles and another, which of course led to all kinds of jokes about what grandma was doing <laughs> in her free time, right? But nevertheless, I opened up a Bible and $100 bills f fell out of the Bible. I'm like, grandma, wh wh why are there C notes? in your bible are you dealing with drugs <laughs> yeah right okay. so like, nope i'm just they cash their checks and then they stick their money oh hey you know for years she worked at a bakery every morning okay uh it was an Ital italian bread bakery in my small hometown they didn't pay her with a check they paid her under the table with cash okay and she never spent it yeah okay? never spent it right? Oh, my mom won't spend the full amount of their, they, they always sock some away because they're worried that, you know, sure. Right? They, they, they don't want to be, they don't want to run down to the penny. They don't I, live paycheck to paycheck the way I do that. They, they think that's terrible because my grandmother, my great grandfather told me stories of how they paid off doctor's bills. Okay. By cleaning their house cleaning their doctor's office, okay, growing them something on their, in their garden. Yep. Okay. Bringing in fruits and veg and yep. Uh, my great grandfather, one of the first jobs I did for him was I helped him redo his neighbor's house because he owed his neighbor a debt. And the way he was paying off his debt was fixing his roof. And I'm like, well, how, how am I getting paid? <laughs> you know, grandpa and he goes well i give you chicken soup every night for dinner don't i and i was just like i'm not liking this payment system <laughs> right but once there is an acceptance of currency okay and what that currency's value is and how it may be backed okay then all of a sudden you know when it changes, then you got concerns. Well, can, you know, does this currency have value, right? Um, you know, probably a, a future uh, podcast episode, me and I are going to go ahead and talk about the two plus trillion dollar uh, um, bailout um, stimulus package for the current pandemic. Okay, that's one of, that's going to be one of our future topics. Okay, most of that will not be in hard currency. It won't be in dollar bills. It won't be in coins. It will merely be moving money, okay, on computer transactions. Right, the IRS will pay you your $1,200 check in directly into your- Bank account. Into your bank account. Which you will spend it. Card. Right. You'll spend yeah. it either with your debit card or you'll spend it on your credit card and pay your credit card back or whatever, which you will do electronically most likely. And sure. then all of that money will have been, uh, I mean, I guess will never exist. I don't know. I, I have questions about that, but I have questions about something else okay. about the gold standard. Sure. So we're not on any kind of standard except trust us. We'll get back to you with that. Um, what about, so what happened to the gold in Fort Knox? 
we still have it, okay? And in fact, nations, uh, nations around the world, okay, are vigilant about knowing where all the world's gold is because it still has this great value. So could we sell that and pay our debt? Well, theoretically we could, okay? But why would we want to give it up when we know that so many other people and nations want our what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess that's a fair point. I don't I, the whole thing feels, I have to admit, money feels made up to me. Sure. Yeah, and I, I, I struggle with, so, okay, this is ridiculous, but I shall tell you a brief story. When I was a kid, my grandmother had uh, a penny jar. And most people's penny jars are regular size jars. My grandmother had a penny jar that was the kind that they used to build ships in. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Those really, really big glass jars with the narrow end at one end and then it's fat <laughs> all the way down. Yep. And I could spend hours, like my grandfather would give me a task. He would say, he would say, go into the penny jar and find me a penny from 1906, right? And I would pour out all the pennies on the floor. I, it had to be five hundred dollars in pennies. No, it had to be more than that. It was probably it was probably it was probably ten thousand pennies. Okay. It was a huge amount. Maybe no, probably more than that. Anyway, and I would pour them out and play with them for hours, looking for the date. Um, and then if I found one, I'd run in there and give it to him and he would give me a fig Newton for finding, <laughs> finding the right penny. Right. So I got paid for doing it, but also like sometimes my granny would hand me an old, um, cloth, an old rag and say, shine them up. And so I would spend hours rubbing and shining these pennies, you know, and putting them back in the jar so they were pretty. And I, I, I feel like we've gotten away from sort of the the physicality of money. Like, I don't know, the weight of it physically in your hand or, or physically in your wallet feels like something. It feels like it means something. And now when I hit pay online, I don't feel like I'm... Okay, but let me I, ask... I spend more money in part because I'm not... I'm not physically giving up something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It just doesn't feel real to me. In some I, wonder, way. I wonder if that's, you know, generational, right? What, what are you saying? Well, I'm I old. Mean, is that what you're saying? Well, no. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes. You know, we are getting old. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think it's somewhat generational, right? Um, uh, you know, I still like looking in my wallet and seeing uh, a $5 bill or a $10 bill or a $20 bill, you know, because then, you know, that's, that's security for me. I can be out somewhere and I can go ahead and, and give somebody cash instead of a card. Um, though, right. I'm, though I'm hard pressed to remember the last time I was at a business that only required cash, right? Um, well, and now some businesses won't, during this pandemic, some businesses won't take cash. Take cash, that's right. But I mean, you know, think about, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the millennials. Um, you know, for most of them, um, uh, they never had cash, right? Um, most of them, if they use a vending machine, they'll only use vending machines that take cards. Or they can go ahead and use their phone on it. Um, so I, I think some of it is, you know, generational value we place on, you know, how we conduct economic transactions. Okay. You know, and that begs a, a larger question, you know, is everything an economic transaction? Most economists or, uh, uh, economics professors will say, yeah. Uh, but there are plenty of people who are like, not everything has to be based in economics. Um, 
you know, in my more uh, cynical, jaded moments, I'm like, <laughs> of, of course, everything is based on economics, right? You know, there's a transaction cost to, you know, responding to emails from people who you don't like, right? <laughs> um, um, you know, talking to a loved one um, who's going to annoy you, okay, that has a cost, okay? And I could probably put a measurable value to that cost. Right. right. Okay. This is 20 minutes of my life I can't get back and yeah. I couldn't work and I couldn't yes, accomplish right? things. And Yes, yeah. that I could not produce something of value to somebody else because quite obviously, whatever I'm saying in this conversation <laughs> is not producing any value to the person who is calling me names. Yeah. <laughs> okay. but But I agree though with sociologists and psychologists who say but part of tr part of transaction is human interaction right part of it is sure is and how do you and, and how do you measure that right and and we're seeing especially right now with with more isolation yeah human contact has become more valuable it's a it's in for some people more valuable than money or sure. more valuable than their health, right? They're weighing in the balance and saying, yes. my need for other people outweighs these other values that I have. Yes. And then you got somebody like me who's, you know. Like you couldn't pay me to go outside, <laughs> literally. Yes. And I'm just kind of sort of like, oh, they're calling this social distancing. This is my lifestyle. <laughs> oh my gosh. One of my colleagues the other day in a meeting said, introverts, it's our time. And I was like, <laughs> like, yeah, he, the way he said it was so funny because he's, he's such a quiet individual, but he was very excited about being an introvert. At this oh, point. I bet he was effusive. I bet he was just he like... was He was effusive relative to introverts. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It was marvelous because I, I didn't, I, I am a mixture. I fall... Every one of those Myers-Briggs, I fall exactly in the center of every single one of the of the thing. They're like, you have no personality or you have all the personalities. You could look at it either way. I'm like, great. Um, but No, when I take Myers-Briggs, uh, uh, my strongest variable is introvert. <laughs> is it really? Oh. Well, that makes sense. You turtle up for six months. I mean, six weeks in the summer and dead to the rest of the world. I, and a lot of my students and a lot of my colleagues are like, but we watch you in the classroom. Okay. And I'm like, that is like the one exception. Okay. Um, I, I could live a life of being a nameless, faceless, okay. <laughs> hermit. Hermit. You know, where, you know, people are like, I lived beside him for 20 years and we didn't have more than like, you know, five or six conversations. I'd be like, yeah, but those were good conversations, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. You're that guy that people talk about later. He was so quiet. We had no idea he was a serial killer. Um, <laughs> On the other hand, I, uh, uh, my eight year old. Okay. Um, is oh, has she had her birthday? Uh, she did have her birthday. She's now eight years old. Yay! So, uh, Mackenzie's eight. Um, uh, she hates the fact that her school has been canceled for the rest of the school year because she is a social creature. Ah. Yes. Okay. Takes after her mom. Um, yes, she is very much a social creature. And um, uh, she has complained that uh, seeing me uh, three and a half days out of the week um, uh, is not fun. <laughs> well, um, seeing only her parents, I imagine is not fun. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about this, the asterisk that's going to be attached to this generation of children. Yeah. Yeah. Who are being kept yeah. in um, for their safety, right. By parents who rightfully are worried about them. Yes. Um, and, for those of our listeners who may be COVID-19 deniers or truthers or whatever you want to call yourselves, um, you're welcome to your opinion. This podcast stoutly and firmly believes that COVID-19 is a real thing and is really happening in the world. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, take that how you will. But, um, but I, I imagine that it's very hard. It's going to be very hard for them. They're having, they're going to lose three months out of the educational school year that they needed 
um, some of them are in situations where school was a relief. Yes. Uh, so there's yeah. some, some real serious things that are going to come out of that in mentally and socially and sort of developmentally. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to them over the next 10 or 15 years. But yeah, I, I, I get that, that the ones that are social are experiencing a, a special oh. kind of oh. awful because they, yeah. they don't, they don't get to get out with their friends and they're not really in a position to zoom or do other things with their friends without their parents being involved. Right. So their play is different. Yes. Cause even if you set up a zoom play with her friends, you still have to be in the room to maintain the software, to maintain, yes. you know, connection, which takes the fun out of it for, for her because she doesn't get to talk about you or, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know what I mean? Like she doesn't get to do the things normal kids do. Sure. I mean, and, um, uh, just the, you know, the, 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 the social development, um, um, you know, being with people their own age, um, right. and, and, uh, the, the way, that, you know, the, the, the patterns of speech and behavior that you develop with people your own age, uh, who are, you know, have similar life experiences, you know, she's not having any of that. Okay. Um, you know, she's, you know, hanging out for, uh, for half the week, um, you know, with, uh, 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 a, a guy who loves books. Okay. Um, who, um, uh, has a routine. Um, my daughter is not routine oriented. Okay. Um, and you know, she's, you know, and and she wants to talk to somebody and 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 sing songs and and um and have conversations um you know uh, not with the uh uh her daddy necessarily um uh but you know with you know other 7 8 9 and 10 year olds yeah yeah um but you know uh so so much of our interaction is currency I mean, if you think about currency, it's not only essential for an economic system, but think about things that are of value to you that you would not necessarily trade or use with somebody else as a form of currency, right? Well, think about this, right? Um, um, uh, there are certain songs or music Okay, that if they were taken away from me, um, uh, uh, I would be um, inconsolable. Oh, I have a friend who followed the the Grateful Dead mm -hmm. for like three summers. If you said yes. to Neil he could never listen to another Grateful Dead song or another Beatles song, yes. I'm not sure if he would continue to live. I mean, like, yes. he would continue to exist, but living would be much so, harder. Yeah, so much harder. I mean, uh, um, you know, one of our colleagues uh, in particular, you know, one of my colleagues in the political science department and, and my dear friend, Chris Saladino, he and his wife are huge Wilco fans, okay, a rock band, right? You know, they have seen them countless numbers of times. In fact, right before the, the nation shut down, um, you know, they flew to Madison, Wisconsin to go see Wilco. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. Uh, if you took away Wilco, if you took away music just in general, but in, you know, specifically Wilco from, from Chris, um, I, I, you know, he and I've had this conversation. Life would not be worth living as much. Okay. They could live, but you know, um, or, you know, Hey, uh, how many times, uh, Nia and, and you podcast listeners, you've probably uh, are, are tired of me uh, talking about this, but, you know, me going to see the New York Yankees, you know, baseball season was supposed to start today. Oh, okay. oh no, I'm so yes. sorry. I know that's painful for you. Okay. Um, you know, but at this point, even the teams can't gather because there's more than 10 people on a team. team. That's right. Okay. Um, you know, 
baseball has been a form of life currency for me for most of my life, right? Um, uh, I, I started playing it when I was five years old. Um, uh, watched it with my great-grandfather when I was eight years old, right? Um, I taught my daughter how to throw a curveball this week. Hey! Right? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, if somebody went ahead and said, we're banning baseball, there's no more baseball, right? I'm like, you know. Why get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, right? You know, I'm still the guy who goes online and looks up the statistics of the players, of the teams, okay, at least once a week. Okay? Okay. Just the, the numbers of baseball, right? You know, the sheer volume of games, the players, how they're hitting, how they're pitching, okay, et cetera. Okay, that is a form of currency for me in my life, okay? I get lost in it, okay? Um, so taking it away would make my life, okay, not as meaningful, not as enjoyable, okay? Uh, and I don't know if you could put a price tag on it per se, but nevertheless, okay, if you think about legal tender, a dollar, okay, a debit card, a credit card, it's currency. It's a way to go ahead and interact with either other people or things that you think matter to you. Okay. Um, so, you know, my daughter uh, told me uh, yesterday that she no longer liked her bed set. She wanted a new comforter, new sheets, etc. She loves emojis, right? So I went online last night on Amazon, okay, and I bought her a bed in a bag, okay? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, folks, you can get the, 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 the full thing, right? All of it, the comforter the, 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 the pillowcases the, yes okay the sham yes right everything and it 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 looks like somebody threw up emojis right <laughs> but she's gonna love it right it's a form of currency i am right. bringing joy to somebody right and i've gone ahead i've gone online and i've gone ahead and, and used a form of, if you will, currency, economic currency, to go ahead and get something that's gonna matter to my daughter, right? right. For, for me, I'm just kind of sort of like, it's a bed set, who cares, right? That's the place where I go ahead and crash after working you know, 18 or 19 hours. But for my daughter, okay, I'm going to bed on emojis. Right. It's currency, that's right, it's, you know, you're reaching out to and getting something, interacting with somebody um, in a way that perhaps you couldn't have done otherwise. Because Lord knows, I'm not going to go ahead and weave an emoji comforter for my dog. <laughs> I would pay money to see that. Just in case you were wondering, that would be currency for me. <laughs> I would pay money to see that. <laughs> Well, on that happy note, if you ever decide to do that, I bet I could sell tickets. So let us know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I bet, you know. Because first of all, we could take a pool on how long it takes you to start cursing. Then we could take a pool on how long it takes you to give up. Then we could take a pool on how long it takes you after you give up to tear the entire thing that you've made apart. I mean, like, seriously, I can make a lot of money doing that. Just let me know. Yeah, there's about, you know. 22 years of students who would be like, yes. I will pay to watch that. <laughs> I'm willing to go ahead and watch Professor Augenbaugh get as frustrated, um, as frustrated as he caused us to be. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, you got other questions? Uh, I do, but I'm going to leave them for another podcast. I, mm -hmm. I think I do want to talk to you about the stimulus because I want to talk to you about where the heck that money's coming from. Sure. Um, yep. And perhaps we could talk about past stimuli and, it, and did they work? Because yes. I'm curious to know if that's a thing that actually, I mean, obviously we think it's going to work or we wouldn't try it, but what's the sort of track record on that kind of thing? I would be happy to. Cool. All right. Yep. Well, it's been good talking to you. Good talking to you too, Nia, and uh, be safe and 
all of our listeners, okay? Wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands, <laughs> practice social distancing, but be safe. Um, yes. So. Yeah. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.